What is up, Pack Nation? Welcome back to the Pack Center Podcast. My name is Matt Hannafin. Here's my co-host, Isaiah Burroughs. How's it going, man? I'm doing great. How about yourself? How was your weekend? I'm doing all right, man. My weekend was pretty good. Uh, spent some time with some family, uh, watched some football, some Nevada football even. Just kicked back and relaxed. I know. Huge weekend for Nevada vet football. Oh, yeah. Huge win. Big. We'll get right into it. And I'm excited. Just all big right. things ahead for us. Yeah, we had a lot that happened this weekend, uh, starting out with the Hall of Fame. I think it was Friday that six people were inducted to the class of the 2020 Nevada Athletics Hall of Fame. We got Luke Babbitt, who was a part of the men's basketball team from 2008 to 2010. Delana Kreiner, who was on the women's basketball team from 2005 to 2009. We have Armand Johnson, who spent who was on the men's basketball team from 2007 to 2010. Vitala, current Nevada, running back, current Nevada running backs coach, who was on the football team from 2006 to 2010. Dante Moak, who was on the football team also from 2006 to 2010. And then the headliner of this all, Colin Kaepernick, who was on the football team from 2006 to 2010. We have a lot of 2006 to 2010s here. I mean, that 2010 team, my goodness. Best team in school history. It's undoubtedly stacked. And finally, they're getting the recognition <laughs> they deserve if they haven't gotten it already. Okay, so we'll start out. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Delana Kreiner? Obviously, yeah. I mean, Delana Kreiner is one of the most storied women's basketball athletes in school history. She's a... WAC Defensive Player of the Year in 2008 and 2009, three-time WAC selection during her career. She's the first player in school history to score 1,500 points, dish out 350 assists, and collect 250 steals. She also is the Nevada career steals leader for women's basketball with 271, and she's fourth in program history in scoring. She's just all over the Nevada career list in terms of so many statistical categories. She deserves a ton of recognition, and obviously she's earned every right to be a part of this historic class. And what a stacked class it is for the Hall of Fame class of right. 2020. Huge. So I, I really like it. You want to tell us a little bit about Luke Babbitt? I know. Come on, the Miami okay, Heat okay. affiliation. Right, you got to right. let them know. Listen, if you, those of you who can't see, which no one can see, I'm wearing my Luke Babbitt Miami Heat jersey. I'm a Miami Heat fan. I am a very big Luke Babbitt fan. I saw him as a kid. Probably my favorite player in school history when it comes to just Nevada basketball. A little bit about him. He grew up in Reno. He was a Galena graduate. He was originally committed to Ohio State and then decommitted and then committed to Nevada. He was eighth player in school history to reach 1,000 points in his first two seasons. He broke Nevada's single-season record in scoring, free throws made, and free throw percentage. He's 17th in school history in scoring despite playing just two years, and that was uh, 1,316 points. And he started 55 games for Miami Heat team in 2017. That was a 41-win team. That's the most important thing. Yeah, that was the, the most biggest takeaway you need from this whole thing <laughs> yeah. was that right there. Yeah. Everyone remembers that. Yeah, that every, one moment. certainly everyone remembers that. And Armand Johnson, who was also on that same team with Babbitt, he was also from Reno. He was a hug rat, and he was the WAC freshman of the year in 2008. He scored 1,441 points in his career, just a little bit above Babbitt, but he played an extra season. He also had 370 rebounds, 445 assists, and 83 steals in his career, and he's fifth in school history. And he was the sixth player in school history to score 1,000-plus points and have 250-plus assists in his career. Gosh. Two, having two local guys like that, too, in your Hall of Fame class, that's pretty awesome. Oh, yeah. Growing some local roots. I know it's important. We don't always get those type of guys, but didn't good they recognition. Both, didn't they both start out their career with the Trailblazers? I think you're right. Yeah. I certainly know Luke Babbitt did. Yeah, yeah. they both did. Yeah, because I, I think it was, yeah, the 2011 NBA draft where Babbitt got drafted in the first round. I think it was, here, I'm going to look this up real quick. Well, while you do that, I'm going to talk about Vitawa. Obviously, Vitawa is a pretty notable figure in Nevada football history, but he's also the older brother of Toa Tawa, who's the starting running back for Nevada football, or at least was 
last week was a bit different, but we'll get into that. During Vitauer's career, though, he's a three-time All-Wack honoree, rushed for 1,300-plus yards in three straight seasons. That's never been done before in Nevada football history. Huge, just a huge impact on the team, and he also ranked second in school history in rushing yards and fourth in rushing touchdowns. Just a dynamic athlete, and, I mean, more about him, but... More importantly, was Luke Babbitt drafted by yeah, the Trailblazers? No, he no, he wasn't drafted by the I was trying to remember which team he was drafted by. He his rights were traded to the Trailblazers, but he was drafted 16th to the uh, Minnesota Timberwolves. Ah. Later in that draft, Armand was drafted to the Trailblazers. So that's kind of cool. That's awesome. I mean, and going back to what you were talking about with Vi, did you see the uh, video of him being announced on the big screen at yes. practice? Yeah, so cool. That's and so well cool. worth it too, yeah. right? I mean, he just. Like, I don't know if you've got the chance to sit down and talk with him, but he's just such a humble guy. I mean, he's one of the coolest people on that whole Wolfpack staff and coaching athletics team, and he's just awesome. He's a great guy to be around, and For you sure. could tell he just brings off that good, positive energy. But to finish up, obviously we have two more notable figures of this yeah. Hall of Fame class. So We'll end with Kaepernick, but Dante Moak, one of the best edge rushers in this school's history. I mean, him, him, on, yeah, him on the edge in that 4-3 scheme was... Amazing. He earned All-American honors by Sports Illustrated in 2010, and he uh, earned All-WAC honors in 2009 and 2010. He set the school record for most tackles for loss in a single season with 22 in 2010. He also has the most career tackles for loss with 63, and he's the school's second-highest sack leader at 30. He spent time in the NFL and in the CFL. And I then, mean, of course, yeah. do you want to go in on I, I guess I'll do the honors. I mean, with Colin Kaepernick, what needs to be said with his college and NFL career the only player in NCAA history with 10,000 career passing yards, 4,000 career rushing yards, as well as 2,000 yards passing and 1,000 rushing yards in three consecutive years. You know, he submitted his spot as undoubtedly one of the greatest Nevada football players to ever put on a Wolfpack jersey. And he also had a pretty historic career with the 49ers as well, leading them to back-to-back NFC championships. And, you know, what he's doing right now, being a main conductor behind the social justice movement in the NFL finding the Know Your Rights Camp, an organization which holds free seminars to disadvantaged youth to teach them about self-empowerment, American history, and legal rights. Just what he's doing on and off the field is very recognizable. He's a polarizing athlete and as a person. So that was the 2020 class, but what more a, recently... Yeah, what, a, what a Hall of Fame class that was. My goodness. Once again, with that 2010 team, my gosh. That, I, just... I went to a couple games that year, and that was, like, as a kid growing up watching Nevada being a fan, that was... The most fun I've ever had watching football. I bet. Next Wednesday, November 4th, the anniversary, the 10-year anniversary of Blue Friday. Um, if you don't know what Blue Friday is, that is the, the game where Nevada knocked off Boise State at Mackey, Colin Kaepernick's senior night, as long as Towers and Dante Mokes. One of the, probably the most notable, most famous game in Nevada history. Oh, most definitely. It's up there, at least. has to be. When you ask a common Nevada fan, what's the biggest win in program history? It has to be the upset over Boise State. You can't really... In my opinion, you can't really think of anything else off the top, but that's how big of a win it was. But. Yeah, Chris Peterson, Kellen Moore, Doug Martin, Titus Young, Austin Pettis. I mean, that team was that Boise team was loaded. Yeah, I forgot how good that team was on paper. <laughs> and in Kyle Brotsman. Don't forget Kyle Don't forget him. Please don't. <laughs> don't forget the missed kick either while you're at it. Missed kicks. Thank you. Yeah. Put an emphasis on that S, please. And he was a really good kicker too. So. Oh, most definitely. Yeah. It's not like he wasn't just some schmo. Like, Brotsman was a really good kicker. Anthony Martinez, obviously hit it from Nevada. We'll, okay, we'll yeah, get we'll, into Yeah, we'll get, we'll, get into we'll, yeah, we'll get Friday into that a lot next more. Week. But um, right now, after that, let's talk about this huge win Nevada had over Wyoming in overtime last Saturday night at Mackey Stadium. I mean, let's. you want to just jump right into it? 
we'll take a break come right back to it all right we are back Whew. i mean we're recording this on tuesday it should be up later today but i mean that's the reaction that's still the reaction from this game on saturday i mean talk about a nail biter my goodness what a game <laughs> i mean that game was well i mean pack fans out there must have been sweating heart pounding i mean that's that game is it really a Wolfpack game if it's not a nail biter especially during a season opener like that. I mean, having a 37-34 to 34 overtime win. And the way, got to give Wyoming credit for their tremendous second-half comeback, but the plays we made late in the fourth quarter heading into overtime really captured, I think, the essence of that game, which was fighting spirit on both sides, serious effort being played on both ends of the ball. I know the score shows that it wasn't much of a defensive effort, but there were plays made on both defensive sides that really shifted the game back and forth in a lot of aspects. So, like you said, what a game. Still kind of has that what leftover. A, what a game, yeah. Kinda Saturday has, feels like so long ago. I, when you're a college I, student, I, sometimes yeah, it feels that way. <laughs> yeah, especially in 2020, time just isn't real. Saturday feels like so long ago, but then just looking back at the game, it's a phenomenal game. For those who don't know, uh, Nevada defeated the Wyoming Cowboys 37-34 in an overtime victory at Mackey Stadium on Saturday night. Season opener for an eight-game season. Nevada had a 28-6 lead. It became 28-28, went into overtime. Nevada, Wyoming, or kicked a field goal. And then Nevada, of course, with a game-winning touchdown from Carson Strong to Romeo Dubs. What are your main takeaways from this game? I would say just Carson Strong's career game, how impressive he was in the pocket, really displaying that deep ball accuracy, and more importantly, showing that leadership, keeping his poise and staying under control when the lead was slipping away. He just felt so comfortable and very, very calm out there. A big step up from what his redshirt freshman campaign was last season. I'm so excited for him because the future is bright and the sky's the limit for him after that game. We're talking, you know, a career high, 420 plus yards, four touchdown passes, 75% completion percentage, 168 pass efficiency rating. I mean, he had all the numbers you need. And these aren't just dink and dunks. These are bombs down the field. We're talking a 50-yard touchdown to tight end Cole Turner, who had a career night with 119 receiving yards and a pair of touchdowns. We're talking deep balls to Romeo Dobbs. For me, that was like the number one takeaway, just how impressive he was to come out and really put Nevada football on the map this year and get off to a great start. Anything else? I mean, that that was me. Yeah, of course, the one that should have been a pick that wasn't a pick that was like the lone mistake that were one of the few mistakes that he really had but yeah he showed he threw the deep ball well a few times um i mean he missed he overthrew dubs a couple times in the, and it's like if he connected with those i mean we're talking about someone with potentially 450 480 plus passing yards add on another touchdown there too because you never know potentially yeah dubs, i mean he yeah. really break away from that secondary right. as he showed and we talked about it a little i talked about it a little bit on the last pod how i want to see him throw the ball downfield more and i've been i've been writing that like pretty much this whole offseason and as you mentioned he looked really comfortable and for the most part the offensive line did well i mean i know the one strip sack that uh Cole Godbot had strip sack. I mean, that was he wasn't sacked often. That was one of the, like one of the three sacks that Wyoming had. And of course, missing your two best pass rushers didn't help. But Carson looked really comfortable, and I hope he builds off. It's hard to build off of a 420-yard four-touchdown performance, but I hope he builds off it. Oh, most definitely. Obviously, we're not expecting those type of numbers week in, week out. But just consistent production this year. He just looks just more mature and more comfortable in every aspect. So I'm really excited to see how this season progresses. I know I think both of us have to swallow our pride a little bit after our (laughs) preseason predictions, but you know what? Strong, the offense, defense, and special teams, which deserves tons of credit. You know what? They made us look bad on Saturday because they came out and they played a complete game. 
It was yeah. really, really impressive, and they really put their foot on the gas pedal. But Ideally, you would want 60 minutes of consistently good football, which we will improve on um, as the season goes on, but win is a win. Yeah, and that's one of the things you touched on is, you know, how did Wyoming get back into the game? It was a lot of penalties, and a few, you know, three turnovers on the game can really help to see your Almost lead diminish. Four. Yeah, oh my well, goodness. Well, yeah, the, f- the four that should have been four. The four but, that should have been four, but, but we will re- take that. But, yeah, <laughs> which I think Nevada scored a touchdown. Yes. But also at the same time, we had a couple touchdowns called back. Yeah, in the you're fir- right. In the first half, on the Mayo Dubs, punt return for a touchdown on the first punt of the game. So it's like, they're not going to punt near that guy again. Nope. And they <laughs> didn't. They didn't. So many balls just <laughs> yeah. trickled down the sideline. And... Yeah, nor should they. And then we had touchdown pass to Justin Lockhart that was called that was back cool. on personal foul. On, I think it was Orsini. Orsini, Tyler Orsini. So yeah, and so it was like we could have been up twenty-eight six at half, but it was fourteen six at half. Yeah, most definitely, and that's one of the things that you know head coach Jay Norvell talked about in the post-game presser was just a lack of discipline to come out for the year, and just a lot of uncharacteristic penalties, and we need to clean up our act in that way on offense and defense because we left points on the board for that very reason. So got to clean up the penalties and clean up some sloppy turnovers. But overall, what an exciting game! Holy crap, it was a thriller and just really, really good. And I mean, we covered some of it already. Let's start from the beginning. So Wyoming got the ball first. My heart broke because of what happened to Sean Chambers. On the third play of the game, Dom got through the line, tackled Sean Chambers. Chambers broke his fibula. And it was like, this dude got hurt again. The dude played eight games last year, got hurt against Nevada. Season-ending left knee injury. Then had to battle all offseason to get back. And on the third play of the game, he gets... It's just it terrible. It breaks my... Like, yeah. I, even like when CBS Sports showed that shot of him like crying as he was getting carted off, like my heart just shattered. It's like, just... That's, it was just so sad. And it was, it was awful. And you could tell it was bad immediately. Mm-hmm. And the players started to surround him and the cart was brought out. And I just... Prayers up for Sean Chambers. That was just such a sad way, like you said, to kind of start the game on what could be a hopeful season. So he's officially out for the year, and, you know, Wyoming had to force a punt on their very first drive of the year. And Strong in the Nevada offense just took over. He went 7 for 7 with 68 yards, stormed all the way down the field, and, you know, we got out to a big lead. But more importantly, to start the game were a few absences that didn't come to oh, my yeah. attention. Okay, yeah, this this kind of like unnerved me because it was this was like three or four plays like into the game or probably into Neva- no, it was like a couple plays into Nevada's possession, which was after Wyoming had their first possession. And so there were times last year when Devontae started, Devontae Leo running back, and they were like, okay, yeah, they'll bring Toy and like they'll just do pretty much do running back by committee on a drive. And as I'm thinking this, I'm like, okay, Devontae's starting the game, and they're like, oh yeah, Toa Tau is just out, and I'm like, what, what, mm-hmm. huh? Like, none of this was announced pregame. He was listed as the starting running back on the depth chart. Dare I say COVID? I know they can't really announce that, but, like, nowadays, only one can speculate, like, what happened and what he had. Hopefully, he's back next week versus UNLV, but that was, like, a shocker. And then around the same time, they announced, like, oh, yeah, Elijah Cooks is also suspended for the first half. That was also not announced. And then they, I think I saw a tweet from uh, Alex Margulies, who works over at NSN, and he was like, yeah, Moses Landis is out, and we have Jacob Gardner at left tackle. And I was just like, what's going on here? Why is this, Why are none of these announced pregame? It just confused me. I mean, I mean, of course it didn't. I mean, Gardner was terrific at the left tackle spot. And so that was good news. No, but. no, I was just as confused as you were. Having those three key cogs on offense just 
missed the game without much attention prior to the game even starting was very, very surprising to yeah. say the least. But did they say, any- I mean, you were in the press box. I was at home watching no. it. Did they say anything? No, I didn't hear anything. Okay. And it, that was the weirdest part. It, like you said, you just kind of saw it take place over out on the field. And I'm <laughs> like, oh, where's Toa Tawa? Where's Moses like, Landis? Where's please- Elijah Cooks? <laughs> but luckily, if there was, you know, a sign that their absences showed anything, it was some impactful freshman performances right. Saturday night with, I know we talked about Devontae Lee. You know, he toted the rock really well, looked good out there, but he looked really sharp. Also, freshman Avery Morrow scored his first career touchdown. Congra- really. Congrats, Avery. Congratulations, Avery. He looks awesome. He, wow. looked, tre- he looked tremendous. He was fast. Oh, Gosh, yeah. he can burst through a hole oh, and yeah. really get to the second level quickly. And as you mentioned previously, Jacob Gardner is a freshman. He didn't allow a sack. Down. I don't think he allowed a sack. No. I can't and remember him allowing Stepping sack. in as a left tackle, that was huge. That was another thing that Norvell talked about in the press conference. Just immense confidence to thrust him into the starting spot just like that. And some freshman performances were really, really impactful. You forgot Torrey Horton, who on the first drive scored 26-yard touchdown. Back corner back, of the end zone, yeah. baby. What a catch. What, what a throw, what a catch. Yeah, what a throw, what a catch. My gosh. I mean, that's to start your year on that note. Congratulations to all three of them because we needed their contributions and they mm-hmm. made it. That catch by Horton was yeah. nice. And the route itself, too, to kind of squeak past it the was defender. Like, it was like a flag around the back corner of the end zone, yeah. Beautiful. Very nice job. They really opened some eyes. So if there was a silver lining with those departures and those absences to start the year, it was that. Because I'm very excited to see how this freshman core can develop and become key cogs and impactful contributors throughout the year. So that was kind of how the first and second quarter began for the most part of the game. We we really jumped out to a big lead, but I know you wanted to touch on few few play calls and talk the, about uh, that. Nevada got to the Nevada got to the goal to go situation on the one and. He ran three straight Wildcat plays, all three of them being very ineffective. This isn't this isn't anything new with Matt Mummy, because I mean I feel like in a lot of short yarded situations over the past few years, or at least this time as offensive coordinator, that Nevada's brought in that Wildcat, and it has been Devontae Lee who was the person taking the direct snap or Toa. It depends on who you want. Sometimes it works. Other times it doesn't, <laughs> as you can put it simply, yeah. like with any other play. But that yeah. was the thing I wanted to bring up too. Do you think with Toa? In the game, the Wildcat could have become more effective with him and Devontae Lee, or do you just want to see it get rid of entirely? I mean, the Wildcat's fun, but like if you use it twice and it doesn't work, try something else. Maybe not go to it a third time. <laughs> and it was the exact same play, at least from what I'm recalling. It was the exact same play, exact same direction, exact same formation. But one thing I want to see, I don't want to hear your thoughts on this. What about Strong being as big as he is? Why don't you just get him like quarterback sneak? Kind of like, I know old, that. Like Tom Brady's special. Like you, he'll always get a yard because he's so big. Well, we know Tom Brady's the greatest athlete to ever step foot on this planet. But I'm saying, but I'm speed. But I'm saying, at least try I me. Mean, I know you don't want you don't want to get your quarterback beat up. Yeah, and that's the thing too. Strong, I, he made a few throws out of the pocket to his left, especially on that throw to Horton. But I, I haven't know. really seen him get out of the pocket and scramble as much. I don't know if you want to risk that. There were, yeah, there were a couple of times last year where he was decent on the run, but he's not, as you mentioned, not the fastest person in the world. But it's just a one, you're on the half yard line, just pr- attempt to QB. Yeah. Instead maybe, of having a direct maybe. snap to a running back three, four yards off. Every time. That but then on the, four, on the fourth down and strong through an incomplete pass. So Nevada went four and out on the one-yard line. It doesn't help that the line didn't get much of a push. Not um, at all, but... That's another, that's another play that you could look back to if Nevada loses. What if you convert here? That's a good point, especially with how close the game ended, having it go into overtime. That, that would have been a huge momentum shift. 
That was also, I think, on the same drive that Lockhart, that touchdown was called. Back. Yeah, yeah, that was. That was the second but one. But yeah, so. I mean, if you score, if then, again, could be 28-6. Yeah. I mean, obviously, we had a lot of impressive plays and a lot of huge touchdowns and long drives. But yeah, if there's a few takeaways from this that we can improve upon, it's definitely the penalties and definitely the turnovers. Because those are two big things that could have really swayed the game in either direction. And Wyoming ultimately took advantage in the second half. So and that was... to get to the second half, another perfect start to the half for for Strong in this offense. I mean, Strong went 8 for 8, 76 yards. That's where Avery Morrow got his first career rushing touchdown on an 18-yard run. Elijah Cooks made his presence worthwhile. What a catch. One of the first plays, <laughs> just ridiculous one-handed catch. Play before that, Melquan Stovall with a 36-yard grab down the sideline on a perfect deep ball from Strong. Shout out Austin. Yeah, good <laughs> shout out on his part. Yeah. He, Melquan looked, he looked real really, nice. Yeah, he looked really good Our too. receiving core looked real nice. And Cole Turner. Turner, Yeah, Turner, he just like emerged out of nowhere. Well, this guy was really good. Oh, definitely. Not a lot of fans outside of Nevada knew who he was. And oh, this guy's just bursting onto the scene. And you have Elijah, you have Romeo, you have... Stovall, but like if Turner can insert himself into the offense, that's four key receivers. That's like an abundance of riches that you have there. Yeah. I the mean, receiving. going back to last year, Turner started at wide receiver, but now mm-hmm. he built, put a lot more onto his frame. He's up to 250 pounds along with the six foot four, six foot five frame. He's now our tight end. Mm-hmm. And my goodness, he is. He didn't a look like a tight end. He, he didn't. Looked- <laughs> my gosh, the way he ran down the sideline, that 50 yard touchdown. I mean, just hauling in seven catches, career high, 119 yards, two touchdowns. The second touchdown on his part, too. Wow. Way to go up and get it. Mm-hmm. And he landed hard on his left or right shoulder. I think it was toward the left pylon. So I think he landed hard on his left shoulder. He ultimately came back into the game. But mm-hmm. what a catch to just go up and get it against the corner one-on-one. Good faith and strong to just throw it up there. That's a different component to the offense I didn't see from last year is just being able to trust your playmakers in those types of situations. And Norville talked about that after the game. He loves playmakers, and he and he he's not looking for star players. He's looking for the guys who will make plays in key situations, and Turner was a perfect example. And that's a great point, too, because when you have four guys, there's four guys that we mentioned in Stovall, Cooks, Turner, and Dubs, one of them can go off each night. You know, one of them can break off a 40-yard touchdown, string together, you know, three consecutive plays of 20-plus yards because they each have a different component to the offense, whether it's speed, physicality, a little bit of both, something after the catch. It's a really dangerous offense that could be unfolding right before our eyes throughout the year. So that's one of the things that really stood out to me, too, as a whole, is what we talked about on last week's podcast is... The offense has a lot of expectations, a mm-hmm. lot of continuity within this conference that isn't really there this year with so many new coaching hires and so many different players inserting themselves into the lineup. Nevada is one of the units that developed chemistry dating back to last year, and you can really see it. I think Strong is really trusting those playmakers and explosive plays. We did not see a lot of that last year. If you can incorporate the running game more with Toa when he ultimately comes back, Devontae Lee and now having Avery Morrow as this third option, wow, you have a lot of pieces And it's all kind of coming together, as we saw Saturday night. If you can keep Strong upright in those types of situations, you see the plays he's able to make. He needs time, obviously, as any Mm -hmm. quarterback does. If Strong is comfortable in the pocket, he's going to eat you alive as a defense. He'll he'll nickel and dime it down the field, and then as soon as you know it, you're allowing a 36-yard pass above your head and gone for touchdown. It's like he has the arm, and he, again, willingly threw downfield on Saturday. 
and he, the, he just looked really good and really comfortable. And if Nevada can deliver that consistent offensive line performance, both in the passing game and in the running game, because, I mean, again, as we talked about last week, you need to establish that run game. Nevada looked more like an air raid offense on Saturday. I don't know how sustainable that is because of Wyoming was missing five defensive players, three starters, their two leading pass rushers, and Elijah Halliburton and Logan Wilson both graduated. And so those are two all Mountain West first team pieces that just, and they also revamped their staff. They had a few new defensive coaches. So it's like that defense also wasn't just like put together. Yeah. Or, yeah. Put, intact. Put, intact. Right. Yeah. Heading into that fourth quarter with so much offense being put up to that point as Wyoming's coming back. One of the things that, you know, Wyoming ties it up real quick with almost 1059 left in the fourth. And at that point, it kind of became a defensive showdown because both defenses really locked up. Wyoming, about, Wyoming didn't allow a first down in that fourth quarter. My gosh. And you know what? That was one of the things, too. I know we keep talking about the offense, but we were still very aggressive offensively calling deep shots. If you saw mm-hmm. on the third and eight on our own 26-yard line, I want to say, Strong just threw it up there to Dubs. Mm-hmm. I mean, he did not check it down to the to Morrow in the flat. He just wanted to test it one-on-one coverage. And that's something to kind of keep an eye on as the season progresses, but... 10 yards on 13 plays in that fourth quarter. The momentum completely shifted. And going back to that third quarter, as you and I talked about a little bit off-air on Saturday, that Tyson Williams ejection completely yeah. flipped the momentum. At the time, you're like, okay, maybe this has a little bit of an impact, but that completely changed everything. Yeah, that ejection for that late hit really turned the tides. I mean, that really revamped the Wyoming Cowboys, you know, second-half comeback. Right, because, like, that next play... Oh, yeah. Yeah. Levi Williams, who was... Who subbed in for yeah, who Chris repl- Chambers. Who replaced Chambers. Oh, Sean Chambers, my apologies. He looked. He also looked pretty good in the second half. But Williams had that 20-yard rushing to you, like that first play after. Okay, now it's 13-28, and Nevada can't really move the ball. Wyoming's looking incredible. They're going fast. They're going quick. They're precise. I mean, there was a few times where I thought Nevada was about ready to get a sack, and Williams just stepped up in the pocket and through a 10-yard, 15-yard pass and moving the the chains down the field. Really elusive with his legs. He added 40 rushing yards and two scores for the game. He really put it together that second half and Mm -hmm. put the team on his back a little bit. But, you know, going into that fourth quarter, defense. A lot of questions surrounding the Nevada defense that we talked about on last week's podcast. And they answered some serious calls last Saturday. Especially in the first half. They they were putting a lot of pressure on Williams in the first half. They were getting after it with Dom and Sam Hammond coming off the edge and experimenting with different things it looked like dom was getting to the quarterback consistently Mm -hmm. he was wreaking havoc back there and so was sam it was just an impressive performance and holding um their running game in check too which big shout out to the nevada defense i wrote about i wrote a little bit about that you have to win this game you have to stop Val. and you know what you held him under 100 yards Mm -hmm. 87 yards on 22 carries you will take that he was a bit effective (laughs) of the passing game because he had over 130 total yards from scrimmage because he was an asset out of the backfield for levi williams but yeah he led the team with seven receptions seven catches sees stuff like that but i thought the nevada defense did a really good Mm -hmm. job of holding him in check he kind of got out to like six and seven yard gains consistently but in the second half especially especially in the, during that comeback but i thought we did a really good job of at least keeping him in the box he did not break free for a huge plays that i thought was really going to put wyoming over the top when i predicted they would lose last week because i thought their running game was just going to overpower us for the first game of the year i thought we wouldn't be able to handle it but the nevada defense answered answered a lot of questions in that fourth quarter with the game tied burdell robbins with that huge, huge interception. Huge interception. To set up a brand new like, field he goal. Like, he almost didn't catch He like juggled it. He juggled it, yes. Like it was like, like a hot potato. Just juggling it everywhere. That, it was, 
I mean, unfortunately, considering Nevada didn't get a first down, they didn't because it was a goal-to-go situation. They didn't score, but they, of course, Talton kicked the field goal to take the 31-28 lead. Yes, and that that really was one of the biggest plays of the night, just to be able to recapture that lead. And it was on the back of the Nevada defense. The offense carried the load for you know much of a consistent amount for the first half and started slowing down in the third quarter. And heading into that fourth quarter, the defense was big. And another thing that needs to be said too is the play on special teams. Julian Diaz. There was a yeah, there wow. was there was a couple Norvell alluded to it a little bit after the game. There was a few penalties, of course, with the dubs punt return for touchdown. And there was a few pen- penalties on the special teams, so I mean that's probably gonna get cleaned up. But Julian Diaz. Pin him back. <laughs> My gosh. Like what is two seventy yard punts, one pinning him on the one, on the it was one like, yard line. Yes. And at the one-yard line at that point, it was 31-28 with like a minute 30 left. And so it was like you don't want to pin them on like the 30 to where they can get down the field within them out of time. You pin them on the one. Granted, Wyoming still got down the field and eventually tied the game to send it in overtime. But it was like... What a punt. Unbelievable what, punt. Uh, my God. Un- I don't what? remember the last time I saw two 70-yard punts in a single game. It was so impressive. The leg on that kid is special. And that's another thing Norvell alluded to. He has a really special leg. He really showed it. Julian Diaz is a name to keep an eye on. Yeah, it was uh, Quentin Conaway who was our punter last few years. He graduated. Diaz was the kickoff specialist last year, and now he's, I think, taking kickoff and punt duties. Yeah, he averaged 60 yards on his punts. Wow. 60 yards? Or 55. 55. Still. 55. That's impressive. And that special teams and the leg from Julian Diaz was special. He really... That was huge. Another impactful play on the night. And to set it up in overtime, something really interesting happened too. Credit to Wyoming storming down the field just to have an opportunity to tie the game. Like you said, you're pinned at your own one-yard line. You have to drive the length of the field almost in less than two minutes. In 90 seconds. A minute and a half. And the fact that they got into field goal position is very noteworthy and impressive. I think they had one timeout heading into that possession too. I don't think you know, they had all Just three. quick passes to the sideline. And they even mixed up. That's where, you know, Galladay got. Galladay. My Kenny Galladay's on the mind for some reason. I don't know why. He's on my fantasy team. That's too, see, I think. fantasy <laughs> football, baby. Always on the mind. But Galladay <laughs> sneaking him up the middle for a few chunk plays. But icing the kicker. How did you feel about that move? It was a very interesting move because what happened was Nevada had two timeouts left. They iced the kicker twice, meaning they called both of their timeouts in an attempt to distract Hoyland or try to like get him off rhythm to kick a field goal. But here's the interesting thing about it. There was 20 seconds left on the clock when they iced. In theory, and I talked about this with my dad a little bit after, in theory you can use at least one of those two. Like let's say you get the ball back. They tied the game, you get the ball back. In theory you can use at least one of those timeouts for your ensuing possession just in case if you need to get down the field. And plus, he's a freshman kicker playing his first collegiate game. I don't know how like valid this is or not, but there were talks on the broadcast that there may not have he may not have been comfortable kicking it from 40 yards. From it was a 38-yard field goal, so it's like, in essence, he's already iced before he even steps onto the field. In that big of a moment, he, of course, he was lights out and he kicked four field goals. And so, I mean, what a what a start to your college career! You can ice him once and save that timeout, and save save that timeout, it. or you could save both timeouts, maybe. I mean, in hindsight, it worked out because Nevada won the game, obviously. But it's still one of those things you look back on and it's... Yeah, what if, right? Yeah, what if. On that first one, I think the whistle was already blown, but he hooked that 
way, way left. left. Way, way well, left. It wasn't even close. I think it was like a sidewinder. <laughs> it didn't even look like it would hit the post on it, a good day. No, it was. And so it was like, it's one of those things. But it, uh, at the same time, in Nevada's opening game versus Purdue, Talton's first field goal after before he was iced was short. And so, and then he, of course, added another five, 10 yards, and Nevada won the game on that what 56 yard 56 yard game winner over purdue and to, and that was talton's first career game yeah, too so there, a, there you go a little bit of vibes from that <laughs> no yeah. that was such an interesting dynamic just mm-hmm. to use both of those timeouts to ice them but of course nevada went conservative in their next drive with like a couple devontae lee rushes yes and they just oh yeah bled out the clock and heading into overtime once again defense did a good job of forcing a stop one of the things that was a really key play was on third and i think it was four they did a good job of just keeping Galladay secured in the flat. Gal- you said Galladay. Gosh, once again, Valaday. <laughs> Kenny Galladay. That's like three times in he's, the he's, After the game he had yes, like last Azavia, Sunday. Xavier and Kenny Galladay, Valaday. Thank you. Galladay, Valaday. I like it. But keeping him secured <laughs> in the flat was really important. And that just put the ball right back in our offense. Down three with a touchdown can win it. And that's what Strong did. Delivered an absolute dart to Romeo Dubs for a nine-yard score and you want to talk about threading the needle and having some confidence with that throw. That thing was a laser. Mm-hmm. Came out of his hand real quick. We talked about like offense this entire time, but then of course I mentioned that Wyoming had no like didn't allow a first half or fourth quarter first down. They allowed two in overtime. Their defense closes it out. They potentially win the game. And that brings kind of another question: Is yeah, we escaped. I mean, we had a twenty-two point lead at one point, sitting comfortably, you know, looking dominant on both sides of the ball, really forcing the issue. What would have happened if Nevada would have, you know, blew that lead and ultimately lost? But we don't a sad to, pod. Yeah, very yeah. sad day. But um, you know what? We don't have to talk about hypotheticals because, you know, we got that win to start the year yeah. off 1-0. and And I wanted to bring up, too, I hate going back to that fourth quarter because it's not a good time if you're a Nevada football fan, for that matter. But the stoppages in for first downs, really key in college football. Because it shows the ineffectiveness of a timeout sometimes. You know, you don't always need three timeouts to go the length of the field to secure a field goal or to get a game-winning touchdown, whatever the scenario may be. Having that stoppage set the ball and kind of run your offense after securing a first down when the defense is already in kind of quarters prevent coverage because they don't want to allow a big play. So they're kind of giving you 10 to 15 yards of space. It's huge. I mean, you really don't need a timeout after first downs. If you just keep stringing them together, it's almost like you're rewarded a timeout. Just a very different dynamic in college football. Do you have any thoughts on that? No. Yeah, I know you hit it right on the head. Obviously, that's pretty much common sense to any college football fan. It was just another thing I wanted to bring up because it showcased it Saturday night with Wyoming's performance in the fourth quarter. It feels like yesterday, but it also feels like 10 years ago. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And you know, let's get into some poll results that we posted yeah. on Twitter on the Pack Center. If you Twitter. don't follow the Pack Center Twitter, please follow it. You have to. It's fire, <laughs> fire content. You have to, please. <laughs> I mean, up to date scoring. I mean, live tweeting games. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a couple of our tweets in a. I think it was Chris Murray's NSN article. Yes, that was pretty cool. No, it was awesome. Got a lot of solid engagement. If you don't follow the Pack Center Twitter, it's at Pack Center. Capital N, capital V, at Pack Center NV. Please go follow it. It's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. And thank you so much for always, you know, just supporting us, giving us a listen, giving us retweets, likes. It means a lot because mm-hmm. we put 
some effort, you know, we put some effort into this and we're just happy to be here, like I said. And, um, you know, we're just honored to take this over and this is going to be a fun experiment. So, right. you know, we put up a poll result. Who was Nevada's MVP last night between Carson Strong, Cole Turner, Romeo Dubs, or someone else? And Strong was the overwhelming yeah, favorite. It wasn't even close. Strong had 68.2% of the votes. Dubs and Turner had both 15.9. 44 people voted. Hopefully we can get that to increase in the coming weeks. Let's hope. Yeah, let's hope. That brings us to kind of another fun segment that we're going to be introducing to the podcast. Okay. I'm just going to say this right now as a disclaimer. Okay, so we're doing Matt's week one overreactions. This is only for week one. Please don't come at me in week five and say, no, Matt, Carson Strong isn't the Michael Jordan of college football or Nevada isn't going to beat Penn State in a bowl game or Nevada isn't going to make it to the national. Like, no, no, I'm not. This is only for week one. Please don't come at me in week five. I mean, you can if you want, but like, I'm just telling you right now, this is only for week one. No, I'm interested to get into it. Because it's college football and, or just a week one in general, and we always love week one overreaction. My first overreaction being Carson Strong can make a run at being a first-team All-Mountain West quarterback. Hank Bachmeyer's up there, Boise State. He had a very good weekend. He's arguably the best quarterback in this conference now that Donald Hammond is not at Air Force because he's in the transfer portal now. He announced in, I think, July that he was not a cadet in standing. So Hank Bachmeyer's certainly up there. Kenyon Oblad's certainly up there. Just kidding. (laughs) Um, But with the way Strong, I mean, we hit on it earlier, but the way Strong looks Saturday, if he can consistently, it's hard to replicate 39 for 52, 420 yards and four touchdowns. Like that's just very hard to replicate in any week. And so trying to sustain that production may not be as likely, but like, who knows? Nevada has a favorable schedule on the road. They have their toughest opponents at home. We don't run into Boise State. I mean, when you run into San Diego State, that's, of course, going to be a showdown between offense versus defense, strength versus strength. But he could potentially make one. I, if the season ended today, obviously doesn't. But I would say Strong probably would be a first-team All-Mountain West quarterback, right? Yeah, but after that's just a weak one. Well, right. It's after that's, 420 that's, yards that's and four point, touchdowns. That's but, the point of this. Yeah. I'm trying to overreact. Yeah. To like No, no. I For an overreaction, I like that because it, it has some logistics behind it, considering, you know, on paper our softer schedule. And if this offense continues to develop and gel as a unit, you are if seeing— If Powell can get back, if yeah. Elijah can get back, like this, is, this offense is going to be dangerous. You're seeing Strong already put up numbers. He threw for over 326 yards in the first half. Mm-hmm. He fires it out quick. You just see it. You don't even need the stats to see how improved he is at this point because he's no longer dinking and dunking the ball. He is attacking downfield. He has the weapons to do it. And yeah, I mean, obviously, if he continues to string together some consistent performances like this and be able to just rack up the yardage and touchdowns, he can get some buzz. And he's mm-hmm. generating some buzz already. And you couldn't start your year off any better. So, yeah, something to keep an eye on in Matt's overreactions. And like you said, with <laughs> Oblad, just keep an eye on him, too, while you're at it. Real he didn't funny. Even, he didn't even, I mean, we'll get into it more on <laughs> Thursday, but he didn't even start. I mean, he was projected to start he, for UNLV. Max <laughs> Gilliam started. That's sad. I mean, Oblad's, like, not terrible. He did fine against Nevada last year. I think he had through, like, 250 yards and, like, three touchdowns or something like that, but not in the running for – First team all mountain West not quarterback. All. Not your overreaction. What's your second one? This one's a joke. My second one is that Julian Diaz is this team's MVP. <laughs> really, only because of how pivotal those punts were. Yeah, I I, I get that one. I mean, that's. <laughs> I mean, seven, two seventy yard punts. I mean, you don't like, see that. No, that you don't. A, once in a blue moon moment, and right. we needed every bit of those yards 
in heading into that fourth quarter, his leg carried us mm-hmm. at points. And because I think Nevada had like five straight three and outs, and he had a, a few really good punts. No, and the defense was getting a bit dragged, getting mm-hmm. a bit tired, getting out there on the field that whole time. So for Diaz to just pin him back and give Wyoming unfavorable field position was huge. And he's just, yeah, he's got a special leg as we've talked about so many times. And team MVP, baby, I like yeah. that. <laughs> and this one, again, week one, week one. This could bite us in the tail week three or week four, week five, whatever week that Nevada doesn't do well. But could Nevada make it to the Mountain West Championship? Like, I think they can. San Diego State was incredible versus UNLV. Boise State was incredible versus Utah State. Can Nevada do it? I feel like they're a sleeper team. Phil Steele picked them to win the division. I mean, of course, there's no division, but if this offense is humming the way it does, and of course, Nevada can only go as far as our defense goes, can they do it? Because again, as I mentioned earlier, hard opponents at home, easier on the road. Yeah, I mean, you bring up I know I only cool. I know week one overreaction. I know I, I only but, picked them to go five and three. Of course, one of them was one of their losses was this last week. It's college football. Anything can happen at any time. I'm sure Mississippi State fans were humming over that after they beat the defending national champions LSU and then just got dog walked by Texas A&M and Kentucky. But like, anything can happen in college football. Can Nevada do it? Like, what are your thoughts? You know, you're talking to someone who picked Nevada to go four and four in conference this year during our truncated eight game schedule. So I'm going to say, eh, at the moment, like a 20% chance. I'm, I understand. Uh, no, the no, logistics I'm, no I'm, it. I'm with you, but like, it's just a question I put down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And especially after a statement win like that mm-hmm. over Wyoming, we got blown out 31 to 3 in Laramie last year. Blown out. Mm-hmm. The fact that we came out with a statement win with so much uncertainty surrounding COVID heading into this year and come out with a win like that was big. That's huge to start the year. With that being said, though, I just, gosh. That's really tough at this point, even with an overreaction like that. I like it a lot. I'm just going to go with like 20% odds at this point. Listen, that's not terrible. Nevada's already proven me wrong. Both of us wrong after our picks week one, but especially me because uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, I have them losing to UNLV this week on last week's pod. That's not looking so good, but we will get into that. that, Yeah, we'll get into that later later in the week. I mean, you could. It's all good. I got to stand by it. You know, I got to stand by it with pride. I will I will take I mean, my losses. If Hawaii's I mean Hawaii of course won this last weekend, but if they go like one and four before they play out and if Nevada's humming, I don't I, know if I'll pick gosh. them to win. But I know. especially if Nevada's, we so. don't have to travel to Hawaii, which we talked about yeah. I know on last week's pod, just the possibilities. But no, I really like this segment. Matt's overreactions. I've expected I think big things. I think it's only gonna be a week one thing though, because we always love week one overreactions in any Yeah. Things, a lot of things happen. You still got to play the games, Isaiah. Oh, yeah, most still, definitely. Still got to play the seven games. Yeah, you never know. Maybe it's, eight if there's bowl games. I mean, there is going to be bowl games. Yeah, knock, knock on wood. Knock on wood. Eight if there's going to be a Mountain West Championship game and Nevada's in it. Still got to play the games. Yeah. I just think in this kind of COVID climate we're in right now, just playing every game right now is kind of a blessing because you're already seeing cancellations. You're already seeing postponements. Yeah, New Mexico, Colorado State. That was canceled this weekend, so now they're playing their first week their first game this next week very weird so we're just going to take every game like it's a blessing because Mm -hmm. it's no matter what having college football in fall you know october 27th right now just having it during this month is awesome it's really fun you were at the stadium how was the environment there because there was only 250 people there yeah and that was up to parent family members for coaches and players so really all it was was band members cheerleaders and Mm -hmm. up to those 250 how was that very weird um did the i 
I'm trying to remember, did the cannon go off after touchdowns? It did. It did? It did. Um, you hear the fake crowd noise mm-hmm. distinctly, like really bad. And there was an issue on one after Wyoming scored a touchdown. The fan noise went off like they cheered. And <laughs> yeah, good job. But, um, you know, that's that's no worries, technical difficulties and stuff. But, um, you know, it was really weird. But at the same time, you know, you, you kind of heard some of the whistles from the referees echo throughout Mackey Stadium. Other than that, I just think the product on the field remained the same. It was just awesome to have college football and having a high-scoring affair like that to open the year was really cool, despite having no fans. And maybe um, there's going to be some optimism ahead, especially heading into next week when we do travel to UNLV, which we will get into in the preview. But having up to 2,000 fans in Las Vegas can be huge. And when we come back home... There could be a possibility up to, you know, maybe 5 10% capacity can be in Mackey Stadium by week three. So we'll keep our fingers yeah, crossed. We don't, yeah, we don't know yet. We don't know. No, Nothing's for certain. But that first week to open the year, yeah, it was weird from my perspective. But I know talking to the players and coaches, they they just kind of took it. I think they've ingrained themselves and prepared for this moment. And they came out and played a game. Could you imagine? Can you imagine the crowd noise after strong touchdown to Dubs in the open? That would have been fire. I yeah. that would have been really loud. That would have been great. It but. didn't watching it from my home. It didn't really feel like there was no fans. I mean, I know of course like of course the cheers after like a first down or a touchdown or something like that like I didn't it didn't really feel a whole lot different probably because I was focusing on the social medias plus trying to write my story at the same time but just wa- just sitting there and watching it it felt like almost like a normal football game and that's, with the crowd noise. Yeah, and that's really interesting too cuz the PA announcer, Taylor Morgan, who's obviously awesome, the voice of mm-hmm. Wolfpack oh, football, yeah. He's legend. Wolfpack sports, he gave that same energy. Like there were, mm-hmm. you know, like it was a packed house in Mackey, and it was just cool to have that mm-hmm. because – Yeah, you could definitely hear him through the TV. Oh, I bet, because it, it gives that college football atmosphere. That's one of the things that makes college sports in general great is having that kind of energy and having someone like Taylor Morgan – giving those reads and just seeing what translates on the field. That didn't change with or without fans. Right. That's awesome. So we'll see how this goes. But, yeah, it was really different and different environment. But obviously, you know, we're just happy they got out with the win and see how they improve from here on out. I also miss the confetti, like seeing the confetti, like on the TV after a touchdown, like confetti everywhere. There was some confetti. There was? There was. Um, I don't remember seeing it. There was – it's not very – Oh, was it? It's not really okay. on the field. It's now toward the home side bleachers. And it was, was it really... just the wind? I don't know. Maybe the wind blew it, but it was small bits. And it was really funny because on the dubs, punter touchdown that was called back, confetti, <laughs> <laughs> they blew some confetti out. And it's like, oh, block in the back. Actually, 15-yard penalty. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to rerun that. But yeah, so that's something to keep an eye on as well. I don't know if they did it with the overtime score. I was busy putting together the lead and just having everything intact. But, yeah, that that's something I'll keep an eye on, too. All right. Yeah, that about that's about everything. Is, is there anything more you want to add? No, I think we touched on everything and, um, you know, just happy to be here. Yeah, I think that's a wrap. But... Uh, we want to thank you guys for listening. Um, if you listen to all of this, Nevada's got UNLV on Friday or on Saturday on Nevada Day. Boom. I think that's like the first time ever we actually had UNLV Nevada on Nevada Day. Previews of that should be coming out later this week. We'll let you know. Thank you for listening. Have a great day and a great week.